Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. We launched a series here, our Christmas series, on, uh, as you can see from the bumper, the proper response to the perfect gift. How should we respond? How would you respond if you receive the absolute perfect gift? And as we're talking about Christmas, we're talking about Jesus, does it get any better than Jesus? And so we have been looking at the scriptures on how the Magi in particular the Magi, these Persian astrologers and astronomers that uh, found Jesus, that took quite a journey to find him, how they responded once they did locate Jesus. And so we're going to launch, this is our launch scripture for the series, is over in Matthew, uh, the second chapter, the first two verses, it's kind of the hub, the axle uh, to our series. And so let's read this and I'll pray and we'll jump into it. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Father, we ask you to bless your word today. Uh, Breathe life on it. Uh, Help me in my weakness. Father, uh, give me the gift of teaching this morning. Open our hearts to learn from your word what it means to worship you, to worship the perfect gift. Uh, We give you this next bit of time. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to come, rule and reign in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these magi, you may know them as the wise men. We've probably been taught that there were three of them. Uh, We don't know that there were three. That comes from the gifts that were given, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. It was most likely a very large entourage. These guys traveled 900 miles to get to where Jesus was. 900 miles uh, down through Syria, around. It took months of planning. It even took probably more than a month to even get there. So imagine that. These guys are from another place, another culture, yet they have heard the prophecies. They have heard the prophecies that there is a king being born that had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. So they pack the camels up, they pack the family up, and they make the long trek. Distance about from here to Boston or from here to Chicago or from here to to, uh, maybe New Orleans. And in that same distance by camel and by walking, they must have really wanted to get there. And uh, so we've been following them on their journey till they came uh, to find Jesus. Uh, When they saw the star, it says in verse 2, and we're reading reading along here. And when they saw the star, they followed it and they came uh, eventually by way of Herod, they came to Bethlehem. Now, like you or me, if we were looking for a king and we went to another country, you would think uh, the king of the country would know where the new king is, right? And probably 
uh, you would go to him and talk to him and say, where's the new king? Because you should know about it because of the prophecies. And so the Magi go to Herod. Now guess what Herod's name was? The king of the Jews. And he wasn't that secure of a king. God was sketchy. I mean, he had many, many wives. He had some of them killed off when he got threatened by them. I mean, the guy was a really a little case, you know. So whenever the Magi show up, not knowing who probably this Herod is, his ways, they say, where's the king? We saw his star. You tell us where he is so we can go and worship him. Their sole intent to worship, just to get to him. All of that expense, all that travel, talking to Herod. Well, Herod calls in his wise men, right? Calls in his prophets. Hey, what's the deal with the king? They say there's another king. Yeah, they go through, you know, they go through the Old Testament. They say, sure enough, there's supposed to be a new king born in Bethlehem. And so Herod, thinking he's really sly, tells the Magi, he says, hey, you guys, uh, he's probably in Bethlehem. Uh, when you find him, let me know because, yeah, I want to come worship him too. <laughs> not really. And, uh, and so the Magi are not dumb. I mean, these are smart guys, right? So they take off and they head down to Bethlehem where they find Mary, Joseph, and they find Jesus. Now, another thing that we don't know many times is that uh, Jesus is about two years old when this happens. He's a toddler. So he's not, in, you know, he's not sitting in the, the trough. He is running around probably driving his mama crazy, you know, right there. Did Jesus do that? Do you think he like, was a normal kid? I think he was, you know. He's a normal kid running around. And so uh, this is where we find him and look... Uh, Look over in, uh, let's get down to verse 9. After we go past uh, the Herod incident and the Magi, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place. And this is in verse 9. Over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, that is like, let's head this way, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. After 900 miles of travel, 900 miles in expense and trouble, they're still happy to be able to get there and to see Jesus. Uh, you know, this whole thing of following Jesus, and, and especially at this time of the season, uh, it should be a joyful time for us in remembering that Christ has come to the earth. Um, we have to remind ourselves sometimes to smile, don't we? And, and, you know, since I'm an old guy, I can say this. So here to my fellow older folks at Christmas time. Uh, yeah. Let me just say that as we get older, our smiles tend to get lower. And like, like my smile is down around my chin. If I was quit smiling right now, it would kind of drop. So we kind of have to tell ourselves, you know, keep smiling. You know, keep that smile because we think I am smiling. What do you mean I'm not smiling? I'm happy, man. I'm tickled. And I'm really happy. And so I, you have to remind ourselves that, that to be joyful indeed is to show it, you know, and to be able to do a little smile, you know, aesthetics and work those muscles up, you know, and work those smile muscles. My son had to kind of teach me this because I noticed he was smiling all the time and it was intimidating me. And, uh, and finally I said, Jason, you got to quit smiling, man. It's killing me. You know, you're too happy. And uh, then I realized oh, that's... You know, if, you're, if you have joy in your heart and you know something good, then people should be able to see it. And so the Magi were filled with joy. 
even at this stage of the game, when they found Jesus. And so you've got a hand in your handout. There's a fill-in if you want to track along with me. Uh, there's a fill-in where uh, there's like Ford this morning. I do this every week just so we can we can uh, maybe be a little more focused. And I don't stray so much in some you know stream of consciousness when I get off there. Matthew two eleven. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you look around the walls here, all four of these emblems are pictures of each one of the sermons of where we're going. Like last week was lifting our hands in worship. And here it is. And that was a challenge for some of us, you know, lifting our hands uh, what it means. And, and so I hope last week we got some help in understanding why a church like ours does lift our hands. And so you can go back and listen to the podcast if you want to find out about that. Uh, today, we're looking at giving as worship. And your first fill-in is this, is that giving is a joy. Giving is a joy like the Magi. When they came, when they got to where the star was, where they got to Jesus, this was a joyful encounter them bringing their treasure. It was meant to be a happy occasion, a wonderful thing. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking right now. You're like, oh, man, I brought somebody to church. I've been asking them for so long, and Tim is talking about giving this morning. Great, great. They'll never come back ever, 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 ever. And I understand that it's a sensitive subject sometimes. But you can't read this story and not see when it says they offered their treasure to Jesus. We can't read this and just go, well, this is sensitive. I think I'll just pass by. And you can't do that. I mean, we've talked about war. We've talked about all kinds of things in this church. And so I know you guys are great, you know, about this. And so we're going we're gonna to take a look at what the Magi did. They took their treasure, their gold, and I don't, there's no explanation. I don't have to explain to you what that means. That's treasure. That's their money. It was even worth more then than it is now. To them And frankincense and myrrh, there's this perfume, this incense that had this aroma, this beautiful aroma that was used many times. Uh, some of them used it for deodorant. They'd rub a little resin on their bodies or they would use it in embalming. Um, it, it just filled the room. This was a wonderful moment in giving. They gave the best they had and it was a joy to do so. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we want to to cheerfully give. And uh, and not under compulsion, but under the fact that we get to worship by presenting to God what we have. And, uh, you know, some of us would like, yeah, I like the lifting hands one better, Tim. Uh, You know, that was a challenge. That was a challenge, but, you know, I can get my hand. Then we say, oh, we can combine the two. We'll take our money and we'll lift it up and throw it up. And whatever God wants, he can catch it. And then, like he does my hands, and I'll take home what falls to the ground. No, it's not, you know, it's not like that. It's what's the treasure. And, again, the magi, I think what they're teaching us is that they took the best they had, and it cost them. 900 miles of travel and sweat and planning and still they're happy and they get to to Jesus and Mary and they go here. They didn't back off. They didn't say, oh man, this wasn't worth the trip. They said, here it is. I'm going to give it to you. Now, they had no idea. I don't think they had any plans for what it was for. We don't get that from the scripture, but we're going to see that God always has a plan. 
when he works, and he does work through our giving many times. But they just wanted to worship Jesus. That was their single focus. And they believed they could not worship fully if they had not given of what they had, even their treasure to him. And so giving is meant to be a joy. There's a church over in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul is, there's a, there's Famine in the land. Churches are needing uh, food. They're needing money to feed their folks. And, and he's asking for an offering for it. And there's a church in there who is going through its own tough time. I mean, they should be probably the recipients of someone's giving. But this church stands up and says to Paul, Hey, we want to we give. We want to help this other church. We want to help them out. And Paul says, Nah, you guys, you don't have it to give. And this other church says, oh, no, 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 let us give. We want to give. You ever heard of that? A church arguing with a preacher to give? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Let me give, let me give. And that's what's, <laughs> that's what's happening in 2 Corinthians 8, 2. And here's what Paul says about this church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And that that's a poem. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see that? In the midst of severe trial, extreme poverty, overflowing joy, rich generosity. Overflowing joy and rich generosity, even in the midst of their own, their own trials, all that they were going through. They gave beyond their ability that which, you know, they would have been expected of them. They considered it a privilege to give. And until we see that, as, that our giving is an act of worship, that it is indeed a privilege to do that, then we're probably always going to be a little skeptical and a little hesitant and not get the joy out of, of giving that we really could if we don't see it as an act of worship to God. And I, and I want to say this. Some of us are going, yeah, well, I know giving. I don't mind giving lots of things. But, yeah, you know, my money, Tim, is a little... Little different. Your second fill in is just clearly this giving involves your money. (laughs) Giving involves our money. I mean, it's gold. I don't know what else you can say. You know, I'm just preaching the scripture here, okay? It's gold. It's what they valued. It's what they had. It's what they brought and they gave to Mary and to Jesus. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I brag on you guys here at the vineyard a lot because uh, you do give and you give, you give faithfully. And I can always tell the people who are giving faithfully because you guys are smiling and amening and laughing. Everybody's wanting to smile right now. It's, it's like, but I, I can tell, I can tell, who, you know, because you're like, yeah, this is good. I love, you know, sermons on giving and all. And, um, but remember this, that the Magi gave. They gave because of who he was, period. A two-year-old child cannot give them anything back. They gave because they believed the prophecy. They believed that the star led them to this king. And so they worshiped. They bowed down, which we'll cover that soon too in this series. And they gave their treasure. They gave what was valuable to them. And um, that is because, and this is your next fill-in, giving 
is an expression of love. Giving is an expression of love. It's Christmas time. When we give to people, to our family, and you travail over it so much, like, what am I going to get? You know, what am I going to get for them? Oh, I want, it to, I want it to convey my love. You know, I want them to see how much I care about them. We, that's what the giving is all about because it, it does take the fun out of it, doesn't it? When you feel like, well, I got to get them something. They got me something. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but when we realize that we're communicating, we are demonstrating something with our giving, it takes on a whole different meaning and life and purpose. That it is an expression of love. And, um, you know, this expression of love, I said earlier, the Magi did. I don't think they had any clue what this, this large sum of money and valuables, what it was going to do. But what, if you keep reading the story, just a few more verses, you're going to find out that Herod, because, I mean, the Magi, they, they figured out that Herod was not that, you know, he was a little off. And, uh, they, they realized he wasn't very sincere when he said, you let, you let me know where Jesus is or let me know where the baby is and I'll come and worship. The king is and I'll come and worship. They realized something was up. And so they didn't tell him. They didn't tell Herod where Jesus could be found. Well, Herod goes, by a process of elimination, I can find him and I can get rid of him. I'll kill off every male child two years and under. And that's exactly what he did. He went and found every male child two years and under, and he slaughtered them. He had them slaughtered. Well, what happened is Mary and Joseph, they were warned, and they took off to Egypt where they stayed and were safe. Now, who financed them going to Egypt? You see, you don't ever know. You're giving when you give with a good heart and you give as an expression of love. You never know what God's going to do through what you gave. I mean, the Magi were on their way back by now. They were just happy to have seen him, happy to have been able to worship him. And now God, in his, you know, preordained uh, wisdom, you know, put it in place such that the Magi had given enough money for them to be taken care of in Egypt and make their way back. You just never know how God is going to use your worship and your kindness and your acts of love and giving. And so they head off to Egypt where... Jesus is spared, and uh, he's safe. Look, even in this church, I, I, I know that some of us have had experiences uh, with other churches where you're like, man, yes, all they want is money. You know, I've never really struggled with this. Maybe it's my engineering background. I'm a super pragmatic person. And uh, I, like, I look at these lights, and I go, who's paying for this? Huh, I wonder. It's like, I was just, gosh, that keyboard right there, that's a nice keyboard. Who's paying for this? You know, it's like a guy asked me one time out in the water surfing. He paddled over to me. This was a college graduate. Paddles over to me and goes, hey, Tim, how's it going at the church? I said, fine. He says, well, how much does the government give you? I said, what? He, I've been studying Roman Catholicism a little too long or something. But he, he goes, how much does South Carolina and the federal government give you to do church? I said, they take from me. They don't give me anything. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, he was serious. He thought that what we do here was supported by the government or somebody or something. This, all, anything that goes on around here is supported by those of us who call this our church home. Those of us who love this church, who love what we're doing. This is an expression of love for us. 
I mean, and I've always thought I've walked in and they take a, receive an offering. I'm like, yeah, somebody's got, you know, somebody's got to pay for this. And so there's the pragmatic side, but there's also the side of when I give, I realize that just like the Magi, they're giving and there are things going on. Some I will find out about and some I will never find out about that are, let me just tell you a few things, something that you don't know about because it's been enough time now I can talk about this. You guys supported a wife of someone whose husband got cancer and was dying and you took care of her. You put her up in an apartment in Charleston at MUSC so she could be close to her husband her last, his last few months of life. That's some of the things we can do as a church. We, we listed, there's a long list of things and you'll see some of this on the screens as far as reaching out to the law enforcement people in our community of what you've done. I mean, there's was over well over a thousand international students came through our building in just a couple of months this summer. And you guys loved them and you had meals for them and you befriended them. You let the state and you let the Social Security and different people use our building. You opened the door so they could process these very precious young people from multiple countries around the world. You opened your arms and you took care of them and you brought them in and loved on them during the middle of the week and that's what you're giving. Some of that goes to that. Down the street at the Adult Learning Center down here, you pay for GEDs for couples and people who come into this country and and want to better themselves and, and they can't. They can't get a job because it's $115 for a GED test. You have paid for you have paid for scholarships for us to be able to do that. Diapers. What was it? Three thousand diapers we just heard? There are some moms really shouting hallelujah. I mean there's I told the group Friday night there's clean baby butts today because of you. Because of you, what you do. I mean, all of this, and there's so much. We've bought medicine. We've, we've you know, our, our wonderful brothers and sisters who are missionaries here. You know, we want to support even more. We want to get in behind it even more. We're touching the nations around the world. That only happens as a local church says, you know what? This is my, my privilege to be able to give of what God has given me so that others can be touched. Someone uh, walked up to me after the first service and said, Tim, I'm so glad you mentioned some things because that hasn't been my experience. Uh, My experience has been uh, churches don't do anything. And I'm like, well, we, that is not us. (laughs) We have always done. I'm going to say everything. Sometimes we have done probably too much. But we have done everything we could to try to reach out, and we have absolutely no plans to stop. We're average in our giving per capita. I keep up with all this stuff. The board does and all, and, and that's good. That's healthy, but I think we're above average church. I think we're above average church, and I think God has called us to do some things that are above average. And so I think as we all get online and we all begin to give, that hey, we can, we can actually do more than we've ever done before. It is an expression of love. And uh, if we look at it that way, it's so much... So much fun to give. I mean, Romans 5, 8 says, Paul says, but God demonstrated, right? He demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know John three sixteen, right? Many of you do, or you've seen it at football games. And uh, UNC should have been saying that last night. Um, but that was a good game, though. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Giving is an act of love. It's an expression of love. And uh, it's the church that expresses the love. I think that's the epicenter of all of this. But I understand that some of, some of us have a struggle with that. And this is your last fill-in. It's because giving is a matter of trusting. Giving is a matter of trusting. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 10, we read this. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord. And this word means worship, really. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And your vats will brim over with new wine. Trust in the Lord. And I know that, like again, I'm a pragmatic person. Some of you go, I don't have a problem trusting God. It's you. <laughs> you know? or it's people I don't know. You know. What are you guys doing with that? You know, That's why we give reports. That's why we do financial statements. That's why we celebrate the things that God is doing. It is a matter of trusting. Again, like the Magi, what an example. They bring their treasure and they leave it before Jesus. They wanted to worship, not knowing how it was going to be used, but God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom uses it to see that Jesus, our Savior, is protected in Egypt while he escapes Herod's wrath. And just like the lady that was in Charleston being taken care of, and like the children that are being taken care of, there are things going on, no, you don't know about, but you have to trust. You trust God first because it's an act of worship. And indeed, you have to trust your local church. It's first God, but then it is. It's honor the Lord, worship the Lord with your first fruits. First fruits is the best that we have, the first that we have. It's the first thing I think of. I want to give what I have to God, the best that I have to God. And... um, The Old Testament had a term out of Malachi, the dreaded tithe word. You know, it just strikes fear in the hearts of every churchgoer. You know, the the tithe or 10% of our income, you know. And you think, that doesn't make any sense. That's why I love this Proverbs chapter. Lean not to your own understanding. Because there are things God calls you to do many times in following Him that just won't make sense to you. It won't. You'll look at it and go, what? 10%? I just, you know... I just want to say this. My wife and I, we've been giving 10% or more for 42 years. I was making $2 an hour when we started tithing. $2 an hour, and, and I had a baby. And Karen and I looked. We, I read it in the Bible. One day we went to her church, and they spoke it. I said, is that in the Bible? <laughs> really? That sounds sketchy to me. Let me see. You know, and so I was 22, 23 years old. So we got the Bible out. We looked at it, and I went, oh, man, that's in the Bible. I don't know what to do with it now, but do it. Now, you're saying, Tim, I thought we weren't under legalism. You're not. You're free. You're absolutely free. You can give 15%, 20%, 25%. You are free. 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 Praise God. It's supposed to be a joy to give. You give what God, you know, gave you and the first fruits and 
and you give it to God as worship. And I think the tithe came along as like a beginning point. It's just something we can hang our hat on and go, well, God mentioned this. So here's 10%. So I can start here. 10% of what I make. 10% of my income. It goes first and foremost straight to the storehouse, to the home, which is the local church. I believe that. It should go to the local church. Wherever you consider your home, where you get fed, where you get fellowship, where you serve, that is your storehouse and that is your home. And that is where your giving should go. Then after that, more of the offerings and all go out from that point on. That's just a beginning. I'm glad he gave me 10%. I mean, I was an engineer. I was like, I got to have some numbers here. God, show me, you know, where do I start? And and then we get the number, and then we press on. We're like, okay, this is a lot of fun. You know, God has blessed us even more so, so let's give more, and let's give to this, and let's give to that. And, and do you get back all the time money? No. And I never even thought about that, getting anything back. But I'll tell you what, I, haven't missed a, I have not missed a day of preaching in 18 years from sickness. I don't know. I just think that's a blessing. I have not not been up here because of sickness since this church began. Not one time in 18 years. And I see that as the blessings of God. Does it come back that way? I'll take it. You know, I don't know. But it's good. I think it comes back. But the biggest payback, if you want to use that term, is the joy of knowing like the magi that I gave. That I am not so wrapped up in what I have that I won't use whatever God has given me to worship God with and say, here it is, Lord. I believe that you will bless the 90% after I give you the 10% a lot more than you will if I keep the 100% for me. And so I trust you. It is a matter of trust. Indeed, it is. A trust and faith in God. And I, I just I want to say this too because I've been doing this a while now. I keep a journal and I write in my journal as I feel like prompted the people that I know who have come to Christ down through the last 44 years. I've got books with names. I've got a hundred weddings of people that I've been able to pray over. And, and I, you know, I've got when God met our need. This church, we started this church with $148 in the bank. And because there were people who tithed and saved and gave, we have never from the very first Sunday not paid our bills for 18 years. Not one time. We've always done it because of the kindness and the generosity of you, of people like you. And the church, what do we want to do, Vineyard? What do we want to do in 2016? How much more do we want to do? How many more people do we want to love how many more people do we want to welcome? How many more people out beyond our own walls and out in Africa and Brazil and in Europe and in India? How many more people do we want to be a part of seeing them become followers, Christ followers and leaders? And we won't even know the part that we've played probably till that day when we stand before God and God goes, remember when you did this and, and we see it. It's like the Magi. They probably never, they probably never found out till later on. Of what that offering and that giving of their treasure meant. But they trusted and they worshipped the God whom they believed they had found in Jesus. Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, we bring our first and our best and trust God to bless the rest. And I believe that's a good little pithy saying. 
Giving is an act of worship. It's an expression of love. And it's an attitude of trust. And like the Magi, we too worship through our giving. And like the Magi, we should be joyful, happy givers. And we are most like God, I really believe this, when we give. Not just money, but when we give ourselves. We are most like God when we do that. Think about this. God created you, made you. He's your creator. Then he comes along and he says, you need some help. So he sends Jesus to save you. Then when you come to Christ and you begin to follow him, he goes, I'm going to put my own Holy Spirit, my own spirit deep inside of you. Now, how is that for fully invested? How is that for giving? I mean, if I never got anything back but the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sins and given me sweet fellowship with him and his people, I got enough. I've received enough. It is a joy to give. It is a privilege to give. And it is an act of worship to give. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.